know that Michael Balak has a minor planet named after him? And did you know that former Aston Villa chairman Doug Ellis claims to have invented the overhead kick? And did you know that Michel Platini played for Kuwait? Welcome to the first ever episode of Platini Played for Kuwait, the trivial football podcast. I am Matt Harrison and I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, Mark Harrison. Mark, how are you doing? I'm very good. I am in Kuwait and I have been to watch football this evening, so I am well. I was going to ask you, um, who have you been to watch (laughs) this evening? Was it a good game? Uh, It wasn't a very good game today. It was Salmia, which is my team here. That's where I live in Kuwait. And they were playing Al Nasser. Uh, And it was a a very exciting last-minute penalty winner for Salmia. So that was three welcome points. You sound absolutely gripped by it. So Mark, <laughs> Mark, Mark has said that he is he is out in Kuwait. I shall say I am joining you from the sunny Costa del Sol. I am in Marbella in the Malaga province, down in sunny South Spain, with a lot of other British people, as some of you know. Um, you might have noticed that uh, we both share a surname that is Harrison. That is because we are brothers. So I think. We'll explain what this podcast is shortly, Mark, but, you know, we are a football podcast, just to give you a bit of a clue what this is about. Who are your favourite ever footballing brothers? Favourite footballing brothers? Um, Well, as a Manchester United fan, obviously Gary and Phil come to mind. Um, Yeah. Gary and Phil. Okay. No, to be honest with you, when I was thinking of this earlier, I realised there's no real sort of combinations I absolutely love because I know I'm a Swansea City fan, so I'll throw out my love for Michael Laudrup, obviously winning (laughs) Swansea City, their first major trophy. But I can't really remember having that much love for Brian, who I know is, you know, slightly before my time as players. Um, And then I was sort of going through them and then part of... The one I thought of and the one I'd like to talk about at some point was um, Socrates and Rye, who I think bizarre oh, as brothers. Yes. That's a good one. Yeah, that's cause... always a good one. Well, and obviously we are both from Wales. We've got some very famous footballing brothers. We've got the All Church brothers, the Charles brothers. Indeed, yes. Uh, and uh, I feel like there's another set of brothers we've forgotten about there, but I can't think who. I'm sure there was three <laughs> sets of brothers in that era. And the old churches, the old churches, of course. I said the old churches. Oh, did you? Okay, I'm forgetting another one. <laughs> this is a good start. So I think then let's explain what this podcast is all about. So the format is each week we will pick a topic relating to football. It could be something really broad. It could be something uh, more specialist. Um, so, for example, we could pick Footballing Brothers could be the title or, I don't know, World Cup 98 or Football Manager Wonder Kids, which never made it in real life. It can be anything, football shirts, whatever. Um, then we are going to pick between the two of us three things which we are at the moment calling artefacts. We might think of a better word. Um, it could be a football match, a football player, a game a shirt, a moment, a goal, anything, anything that our imagination can pull out. Um, and hopefully we're going to get guests on who are perhaps more specialists in some of these topics. Um, and the aim is really to talk about things that, as Barry Davis would say, are interesting, very interesting, and perhaps 
perhaps things that are a little below the surface. Um, well, you tell me, Mark. I sort of pitched this sort of idea to you, and maybe I should be explaining, but I- I'm struggling. What, what, what do you think the point of this podcast is? What is the point of this podcast? <laughs> yeah, That's a very big question. Yeah, because I sort of um, came to you with this idea, and um, I think it was just we like talking about random football stuff. Should we find an excuse to do it? But it, what would perhaps, if someone's listening for the first time, what are they going to get from this? Uh, well, I, I think exactly what you said. They're going to get a lot of random football information, but hopefully it will all, as you say, it will be themed. It will make sense. Uh, hopefully they'll learn something new. Uh, hopefully they will be entertained a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, hopefully it'll it'll be a good fun chat yeah. about the game that we love. Yeah, and I, I suppose as well, um, we we should add here we are both educators um, by profession. <laughs> Mark's a teacher in Kuwait. I'm a teacher here in Marbella. But as much as you know, we're all about learning as well. And I think you know that we're dealing with football, which is such a huge topic. I'm sure we'll say things where, I don't know, we might not tell the full story of something or miss a bit of information or, dare I say, get something wrong. Um, and we'd love people to sort of educate us as well or, you know, offer um, perhaps areas of certain topics which we don't know about. Very much. Very yeah. much. Um, which brings us on, Mark. Well, I, I suppose we should say as well, before we go on to what our first topic is, um, I think we've got similar tastes in this sort of thing, but what what do you think you love most about football to give people an idea of where we might be heading with some of this stuff? What I love most about football, um, I think... (laughs) What do you think you're going to talk about a lot on this podcast? Where do you think you're going to be headed with your thought process? uh, For me, it's... (laughs) It is the fact that it's the global game. I think that um, that uh, and our, our first topic is very much on that that theme, uh, and that's something that's always kind of fascinated me. Uh, as I'm sure will come up through the episode, I've been very fortunate to to do a, a fair amount of travelling and and see a a good chunk of of the world and wherever i have gone football has been a way of uh getting involved in the local culture meeting local people but also meeting people from other cultures within the culture that i'm living working visiting etc yeah so i think for me it, it is the sort of the vastness of football and the uh uh, the universality of it, yeah, I think is what I love. Yeah, and I think I think I was going to go with a a similar um, idea, really. And I think you've used a good phrase there. I was going to say the different branches of football, but I think the vastness might be a better way of putting it. I do. I think my starting point, the thing I love more than anything, is going to a football stadium and watching a game, and where that goes from there. Sometimes it can be the fan culture. It can be the stadium and just staring at big, pretty floodlights. I like doing that. And then occasionally it's what's going on on the pitch as well. You see a footballer and you go, <laughs> wow, I'm, I've just fallen in love with that footballer or that football shirt. And I'd, I'd like to think um, we're going to cover quite a lot of that process. Um, maybe we should mention, Mark, and it'll sort of feed in nicely to our 
uh, first theme of perhaps our various travels. Because I think if we say where we've been in the world, I think it's fair to say that we've always attached ourselves to the football culture of the places we've been in the world. So um, tell us your sort of football journey slash career journey. <laughs> so uh, Notice how I put I football left. first there as well. <laughs> <laughs> I left South Wales to... Uh, I left South Wales for South Korea in 2004 uh, and was working there as an English teacher and started following Incheon United. That was the, the city where I lived. Uh, and since then, I've had two spells in northern Spain, in the Basque country. Uh, I've lived and worked in Vietnam, in Malaysia and now I'm in Kuwait and yeah as you say sort of have always attached myself to to teams there uh, and have used football as an excuse to to see a lot of the country or the places where I've been living yeah and and yeah obviously I come from the same place as Mark as we established <laughs> and so we come from Merthyr Tidville so a big a little village in the Merthyr Valley called Quaker's Yard so uh, Quaker's Yard doesn't get many shout outs on podcasts so big love to Quaker's Yard yes um and then via Swansea I I headed up to the northwest of England to do my teaching degree in Liverpool and went down the road to Manchester for quite a few years and that's sort of where um I sort of got into ground hopping quite a lot did a lot of non-league football um, you know, anywhere I could watch football, which then sort of led me to the continent of going on European trips to places, which then made me get intrigued and thought maybe I'll move to the continent um, through a question I was asked many times. Why did you move to Slovakia? And still don't really know the answer. I think it was because I just fancied going somewhere and they offered me a job and I was like, that sounds fun. So I lived in Slovakia for a couple of years. Um, I travelled all around Central Europe watching football there. And then after a brief interlude back in Britain, in Sussex, I am here in the Costa del Sol. And I now host a podcast about Malaga Club de Football, who I have a season ticket for. And uh, um, they've sort of been my uh, love and my attachment here while I can't <laughs> watch my other love, Swansea City. So um, we've covered our travels, Mark. So do you want to explain... Um, what our first topic is going to be. Yes, our first topic is um, a journey through our favourite Welsh footballers who have played overseas. Uh, so Matt and I used to co-own, co-write. Co-blog? What's the word? Co-blog? Co <laughs> we were co-authors of a blog called Lost Boyos uh, and which uh, I think I think we can say was quite popular mm, yeah, for, did all right. for a few years um, and predominantly it was known as a, a ground hopping blog but uh, the original premise was to uh, to focus on to write about Welsh footballers who had played overseas there they stretch back for a very long time, as we'll touch on in this in this episode of the podcast. Um, there have been some famous famous names winning the biggest trophies, and some stories that are just sort of interesting and, and different that have perhaps 
not not got the coverage that uh, they should. So we're we're hoping to to shine a light on some of those today. Yeah, definitely. And actually, when we thought this would be a good place to start, because of obviously it's something we've written about before, and we'd like to think we have some sort of authority on speaking <laughs> about. Um, God, we should say there's a couple of caveats to this first one, though, no? That uh, some names people might expect to hear, they're not going to today. <laughs> yes, definitely. This is not. Um, this is not going to be a list of the greatest. You know, the six greatest Welsh uh, footballers abroad. Um, it's it's sort of, and even maybe not even our favourite Welsh players abroad. They're sort of just stories which fascinated us or stories we had a connection to um certainly two of my choices fall into that category but um yeah let's um let let's go over to that section then where we will pick our three artifacts linking to the theme <laughs> of welsh footballers abroad aka lost bios As Matt said in the previous part, we're going to share three artifacts each on the theme of Welsh footballers who have played football overseas. We won't be talking about Gareth Bale. We won't be talking about John Toshak. We won't be talking about Jess Fishlock. Um, these are people who could probably have their own show. We could pick our favourite Gareth Bale goals, our most random John Toshak 11s from his many um, journeys and Jess Fislock, we could pick something from each continent where she's won a footballing trophy. Um, but no, today we're going to sort of focus on some that are a bit more personal uh, or just a, that have kind of stood out to us while we were writing the blog. And Matt, you're going to kick off with a with one of those personal type anecdotes yes i am going to start with a personal anecdote and as i mentioned earlier um i said i lived in slovakia two years so we're going to go back to april 2016 actually where um the school who hadn't employed me at the time had um they'd had quite a few issues with teachers going to tanava which some welsh football fans and england football fans actually and scotland football fans i just realized <laughs> would have watched their team play in the last decade or so so they might know tanava but the school i'd worked at had had some issues keeping staff so um when they offered me the job they said oh you better come over first and check the place out and they were very nice to me and etc but um i was going to so i went to watch spartak tanava play on the saturday and then on the Sunday, I was supposed to be going to Bratislava with my boss. And she said she couldn't meet up or future boss. Um, you know, hope you're not disappointed. Now, I was hmm. chuffed because um, I'd, <laughs> I'd seen a football club down the road called AS Trenchin, which, to be honest with you, I'm assuming uh -huh. we'll do something based on Slovakia at some point. Um, I could do a long spiel on them. So I'll, I'll keep. I'll hold back talking about them too much, but I'll just say <laughs> Castle and Floodlights. Um, and I went to watch AS Trenchine, and I think I tweeted about it, and someone tweeted back called us uh, Stephen Lawrence. 
And he said, uh, my son plays for AS Trenchine. And I thought, well, that is peculiar. That is sort of, I didn't expect that. And uh, sort of had a look on Stephen's Twitter and he seemed to work in in Holland, I think Amsterdam in particular. And he said his he, his son was English, uh, a, a guy called James Lawrence. But um, I think he DM'd me then just some information about the club and stuff. And he said, oh, just to let you know, James is, uh, I think his grandmother is Welsh because um, the Lawrence family are from, I think, Henley-on-Thames um, Henley or Oxfordshire way, somewhere in that bit yeah. outside London. Um, so I, I was like, wow, I'm watching an English footballer um, in Slovakia. I didn't expect to see this on my little trip to Slovakia. Um, and he played great as well. I think I get it mixed up because I saw him play... Quite a few times I went back to Trenching because, as I said, it's such a cool place to watch football. Um, I think I saw him play right back, centre back, centre midfield. And he always was really good. He was always um, like quite tall, quite sort of like not pacey, but was always really controlled with the ball, looked quite assured. And he was only about 21, 22. And yeah, he, um, it, many, many years later, he's in the Welsh squad. And it turns out that... Uh, that grandmother has very much did exist. And from nowhere, he, this name, I think the joke was that Tom Lawrence was in the Welsh squad and they thought, oh, Lawrence is in the squad. <laughs> and then it said Jay Lawrence and everyone was like asking Ryan Giggs, who was the manager that gave him his name. Who David, is Jay Lawrence? Who on earth is I Jay remember. Lawrence? And to be honest with you, I didn't really click straight away. I was like, oh my word, <laughs> that's him. Because um, he was at Anderlecht at the time then. But um yeah, he's uh, he, he he was really successful in Slovakia. Actually, I should probably say how he ended up there. Um, he had trials, or you know, what do you call it, schoolboy stuff. Um, you know, youth football with likes of QPR and Arsenal. And I believe um, I don't know if Stephen will listen to this. He follows me on Twitter. He could listen. So um, you know, <laughs> correct me if I get your family life wrong. Um, I believe is uh, the Lawrence. Um, Mrs. Lawrence um, got a job in Amsterdam, so the family moved over. And Stephen, who seems to be, you know, like, you know, a massive supporter of his son's football career and who seems to work tirelessly as promoting him and celebrating his son's achievement, which is um, achievements, which is great to see. But he basically emailed loads of clubs in um, Holland and said, you know, can my son train with you? So I think James would have been about uh, 16, 17, maybe a little bit older then. And... I think he tried out at a couple of clubs, one being Harlem, who will get mentioned later as well. They, they, they're going to be a central part of this week's <clears> uh, episode, um, HFC Harlem. But eventually ended up at uh, uh, it's like the Johan Cruyff Institute, which I couldn't quite work out. I think obviously it's affiliated with Ajax, but um, I'm not sure where it sits in the, the Ajax pyramid of things. And um, yeah, eventually, you know, he worked his way through there. And the guy whose name was it La uh, uh, what's his name Shao Shao Larling, who was Dutch international in the eighties, um, was a friend of Cruyff. He became the owner of AS Trenchine and vowed to make them this sort of. I think the phrase he might have used was like this sort of Porto of Central Europe, where they buy young players and sell them on <laughs> for profit. And I don't know. He got word of uh, James Lawrence and said, asked him to come over, and he did. And in his first two seasons, he won the Slovak League and the Slovak Cup double twice. So uh, very successful there. Um, like seemed a very sort of assured young man and got his move to Anderlecht where 
perhaps um, he he had his opportunities there. The the sort of nail in the coffin for his time at Anderlecht seemed to have been that uh, Vincent Company became manager, and that mm-hmm. I don't know the full story there, but that's what led to him going to St. Pauli on loan, which I'm sure many people know their story as this sort of left wing radical sort of club, and that loan became a you know a permanent, and now he's he's captain the club at times. He's the vice captain. And yeah, I was I was thinking actually, um I should have said Trenchine is you know, I'm sure some are aware of some of the politics of certain ultras in Central Europe and Eastern Europe, but uh Trenchine are actually a very left wing club. They're one of the few left wing ultras in Slovakia. So I was thinking James Lawrence has had this quite a liberal <laughs> club career where he's gone from Amsterdam, which has its sort of it's intentional. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um this sort of Amsterdam as a city, the association with sort of liberalism and all that, and then Trenchine, um, Anderlecht, we'll skip over that one a little bit, and then um, St. Pauli. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's cool. I, I believe the aim is to eventually get to um, the English football, but he seems quite content and he seems to be having a good time at St. Pauli. Um, what are your views on James Lawrence, Mark? I don't know how many times you've seen him play, and obviously he's got. Um... I don't think I've ever. I mean, I've seen him play for Wales on That's the television, I mean. obviously, but I don't think I've ever seen him play. Um, I think sort of one thing that's that's quite interesting is for um, two ground hoppers who lived overseas and wrote about Welsh footballers playing overseas. We didn't. Neither of us have actually seen very many. No. Uh, I saw Gareth Bale play at the Bernabeu. I think that's the only time I've seen a Welsh footballer overseas. Well, I can he perhaps got say that day. So I mean, it was an authentic Gareth Bale at the Bernabeu experience. I have seen Gareth Bale <laughs> play in the European Super Cup for Real Madrid, but it was uh-huh. in Cardiff. <laughs> so, so I have seen him play for Real Madrid. Yeah, it was funny actually when I did make a note of James Lawrence for this. I did wonder. I didn't think you'd seen anyone, and I thought you might have seen Bale. Um, and I couldn't think of any others. It was. Um... I did make a, a trip to Borneo where Reese Weston was playing, but he didn't play in the game when I was there. But I did. He was captain of Sabah F, F, Saba Football Association. But he and I went to watch them in the the Borneo derby against <laughs> Sarawak. But. There was no sign of Reese Weston. Well, we you did say at the start we're not going to perhaps talk about the obvious ones because they could have their own episode. But I think uh, the Lost Boyos well is very deep. So maybe in a few months' time we can come back to We can well. revisit. Or maybe Reese Weston. The other thing, uh, the other thing we, what we did say we would talk about was um, some trivia and... Did you know that I, I noticed this stood out to me when I was... When when you said James Lawrence was going to be one of your picks, I I sort of double checked up on him on on Wikipedia, and that tre- trenching team was the had the uh, lowest average age of any European champions between two thousand and nine and two thousand and seventeen. I definitely I think when I wrote <laughs> the blog about that team. Um, when I when I went there, I think I might have mentioned that. I definitely knew that fact, but I yes, I failed to make a note of it. I mean, that I I wonder if that is probably still true. I can't think of any other 
teams in the last five years that have had a especially young. It was very young, and like they uh, they were funny because when I first saw them, they were great to watch, and then my two years in Slovakia, they started uh, um, slumping a little bit, really, and you know there's. They lost. They they won the championship a couple of times before I got there, and the sort of, I think they were still in the sort of honeymoon period of um, Larling's sort of project, and I don't know if a lot of players got sold on and obviously got replaced. Um, I don't think they replaced them great. I think they're on the up again a little bit. They've got they've got a new stadium now, but again, I don't want to talk about that because the old one was so good and. Yeah, they got into Europe. Actually, um, supposedly the reason, I should have mentioned this, the reason Lawrence got signed by Anderlecht was he got spotted playing for Trenching when they knocked Feyenoord out of the Europa League uh, wow. qualifiers. So, And another little bit of trivia linked to James Lawrence, actually, is that uh, I think he played for Wales. His first games were against Albania. And I've got Trinidad in my head. Uh, forgive me if I've got that wrong. But his first competitive game was against Slovakia. That's a nice little uh, bit of hmm. symmetry for him. And he said, like, he knew quite a lot of the players. Um, I'm sure he did. And, yeah, so um, moving on from James Lawrence then, Mark. Uh, you know, obviously, I've got personal link term here. Now, your first choice, um, uh, Bailey has a Wikipedia page. Or, and it's, <laughs> there's not much about him. And I, I'm, I can't remember you writing about him on the blog. So forgive me if I've just forgotten it. But you tell us about your second or your first choice, sorry. I I didn't uh, write about him. Um, it partly because um, of a lack of information, as you say, but also that when you look into him and his family, there's so much sort of interest, so many interesting stories. It was kind of also hard to to write a blog that kind of focused on the football. Um, we're going back to the UK census of 1881, and I give you the Pasadoro family of Roth Cardiff. Uh, so they're, they're listed in the census mostly under their, uh, I guess, English names, I guess we, we would say English language names. Uh, so you've got George, who's the dad, Caroline, Caroline is the mother, and then the four children are Virginia, Goffreda, who is listed under an Italian name, Goffreda, Charles, and the youngest is Howard. And Howard Pasadoro was born in Newport. Uh, his dad, George, was a, a coal exporter from Genoa. And at some point between 1881 and uh, 1898, Howard returned to Genoa and won four Serie A titles. <laughs> yes, I believe I believe it's called the Italian um, Football Championship. Then I believe is the I think it hadn't gone full Serie A. My no, uh, it was yes, it was the Campionato Italiano di Football. Not even Calcio yet. It was, <laughs> um, it was football uh so yeah he was part of the the genoa team that that dominated the early part of uh the early years of italian football uh he has an amazing record uh he played nine games and won four championships so <laughs> his games to medals um his games to medals ratio is is 
very, very high. And as you say, um, there isn't a lot on Wikipedia, certainly not on his English Wikipedia page. His Italian Wikipedia page gives us a little bit more. Um, so, yes, he played in the, the Genoa team that won uh, the Italian Championship in 1899, 1900, 1902, and 1903. The one that he missed, according to uh, the... Oh, so the other two, sorry. So 1901... Mm -hmm. uh, Sorry, 1901 and... The first one, I think um, he wasn't there for the first uh, so he, one he, when I read. Ah, uh, yes, he wasn't there for the first one. You were. The one um, the one that he missed, the, he was rowing with his <laughs> brother in a boat called Zigzag, according to his Italian. <laughs> uh, yes. R rowing where? <laughs> uh, sorry, no, he, that wasn't the one. He, the, the one they missed was uh, was uh, he didn't miss Milan one, uh, which also had a Welsh player called Pen Penvin, which I think is a misspelling. <laughs> Penvin Llewellyn Neville, but I could never find out a lot of information about him. So, but there was a but there were there was Welsh involvement in in all the early Serie A winners. Uh, pass it, pass, so yeah, this is from. Google Translate of his Italian Wikipedia page. Pasadora did not play on the same, uh, did not play being engaged on the same day with his brother Fortunato in a rowing competition <laughs> with the boat Zigzag. Um, he later participated in all championships until 1903, winning four league titles. Um, and this is my favorite bit. So Genoa are obviously sort of famous for their. Um, red and blue shirts, uh, which Pasadoro opposed when they voted on the team colours. Um, he wanted the team to play in blue and white, but he only received one vote. Oh. <laughs> uh, he voted against red and blue. But yeah, he's um, Welsh, a Welsh footballer with four Serie A titles, which I think is as many as Aaron Ramsey, John Charles and Ian Rush, or more than Aaron Ramsey, John Charles and Ian yeah. Rush had put together in, in all their years playing for Juventus. Um, so, yeah, pretty amazing story. I, I mean, as they say, when you when you look him up... Um, He's a mystery. The family were were obviously a, a sort of society family in Cardiff, the, the Welsh newspaper archive. When you search Pasadoro, uh, there are lots of... Uh, um, Amazingly, the first entry is a game of kites, um, <laughs> which his dad won. Um, but there's things like the Catholic ball, uh, charity ball, there's Freemasons event. So they were obviously a, a society family. Uh, the dad sort of donated money to the creation of a university, which may be Cardiff University. I'm, I'm not sure, maybe another one. Um, Gofreda, who I said... The older brother, he appears a lot. Um, he, he killed himself, tragically. There's a, a lot of stories about uh, the death, the suicide of a Cardiff gentleman in London is, is a, comes up a lot. Um, he was, by all accounts, a very well-liked and very popular man, but suffered from insomnia and uh, killed himself. And also uh, Howard Pasadoro's sons come up when you search them too. One of them died playing polo and one of them died in the Middle East 
during World War Two. So yeah, as I say, it's a sort of a fascinating family, and and at at the heart of it is this guy who won four Serie A titles. Uh, I, I when when he Italian st- Championship titles. Yeah, so yeah, I wasn't being too picky there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we should add as well. I think <laughs> I think um, it was very much like a um, if I remember rightly from what's the book called Calcio. The book's called, isn't it? It was like a like a tournament, Calcio, wasn't yeah, it? It was like a it was like four or five yeah yeah um i'm not i'm not trying not to downplay uh, his achievements by the way (laughs) no no uh, well i mean yeah so the the his first one 1880 1889 they beat inter of torino in the final but yeah they they played two matches uh no actually that year they only played one because they were the champions they went straight to the final uh so that was the only game they played that year um and uh the far, there was one year where it did expand quite a lot in those early years, um, but it was done regionally. And um, Genoa played uh, one half of the two teams that became Sampdoria. I can't remember which one they did Pele. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, there weren't many games, as I say, nine, nine Italian Championship matches and four. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, we should mention as well with Genoa, and it'll lead sort of in because we're, we're, we're going to stay in Italy for a little bit longer. Um, an, another unknown name coming up shortly, but uh, sure. Genoa, of course, the the father of Italian football. And uh, do you know the? Do you remember the name? I do, James Richardson. Or James Richardson Spensley. Yes. Uh, so yeah, he was he was part of that. Uh, Pasadoro was part of that team with with Richardson Spensley. Um, who I think did vote in Ferrano. Mm. It was no, it doesn't doesn't tell us Richardson Spenley's vote. Unfortunately, it was uh, Pasteur who was the other sort of familiar name from I, that team. I just love the idea. But yeah, of... Howard Howard Charles or Howard Carlo Pasadoro, uh, born in born in Newport, grew up in Rose Cardiff, and a four time Italian football championship winner with Genoa. Definitely. I, I was thinking, I, I would love to think um, somehow Ellis James would find this podcast. And when he used the phrase, <laughs> um, we're going back to the 1881 Welsh census, I thought, oh, that, that, that's it. That sort of thing he would love. Um, anyway, um, sticking in Italy, um, this guy does have quite a big Wikipedia page. He has books, he has you know, he has history books written about him. Um, we said we're not mentioning Gareth Bale, Toshak, Jess Fishlock, but we are going to mention the big man himself, John Charles. Um, again, as we highlighted at the start, we tried to pick ones, stories we found fascinating and perhaps stories which have um, we have a personal interest in. So before we head to Italy, we're, we're going to go towards the end of his career and say our... Um, our personal link to him. Um, he signed our dad, Mark. He did. <laughs> which is, which is, um, I do drop that into story um, conversation with people sometimes and they go, what? Um, uh, uh, do you want to say where, um, how he signed our dad and where? Yeah. Yes. He signed, uh, our dad, Robert, Bob for, uh, the Merthyr league, uh, the Merthyr side that was playing in the Welsh league. Um, and, the, I think the the story that uh, I always think of there there are two. Um, I was going to ask I'll you what's your the, favorite. Um, the, I was going to ask I'll you go what your the good one. Okay. Of uh, the crossing drills <laughs> and 
John Charles not being not being satisfied with the the quality of crosses he was receiving, so he asked our dad to go and uh, take over crossing responsibilities, and he put one in and put it perfectly on John Charles's head, who powered a header in into the back of the net at Penadown Park. Yes, yes. So John Charles was, uh, I think he was player manager, wasn't he? But I think he very much was more manager than player by then. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, the other, you're right, because I was going to ask you, what's your favourite story our dad tells about John Charles? But you're right, there are only two. I, I will tell the second and <laughs> shortly. The third one that does come up sometimes, he always talks about that John Charles drove the bus. I think he always said he drove the team bus, um, mm. which I just thought was quite well, interesting. Did, there is a There is a fantastic picture i don't know if you've seen it going around on twitter this week of i think it was the the israel qualifying game uh of john charles leaping to head the ball and it's it's a really fantastic picture that has uh been going around this week yeah i think i retweeted actually it's like those um ones you see of Ronaldo over the past few years. Isn't it? Um, I think if I remember rightly, though, the one the story Dad tells, um, he didn't jump off the floor. He just headed it from about twenty yards, like just standing there, and it flew in the top corner. And that's, it, I know the story changes a lot. The other one, just quickly before we head to his lost bio spell, was uh, when our dad had had enough of John Charles not picking him, so we went off to play for Tint Rovers, I think. And uh, when he was playing for Tint Rovers at Taftswell. Um, he got his, he went up for a header, got his cheekbone smashed out or whatever, uh, woke up or ended up in hospital, uh, I think somewhere in Newport and John Charles came along to see him and wasn't very happy, I believe is the, is the other story he likes telling him. And I think that yes. was, that was the end of his, uh, Murtha career. Out, out <laughs> um, and to be fair, I don't think John Charles lasted much longer. So, uh, you know, maybe that was his downfall, but if he'd stuck with Bob <laughs> Harrison, maybe. But um, yeah, go, we'll go back, we'll move away from the fields of South Wales um, and we'll start heading towards Italy. Um, we will stay in Wales a little bit, though, because he is quite an interesting lost boys. Um, um, obviously, I think, I can't remember if me or you or maybe us together, we bought Dad his autobiography for Christmas, which is really good read, actually. And the first few chapters of that are about his time in Swansea and he's clearly... Um, very much a, like a homeboy doesn't really leave Swansea at all or Wales at all in his youth and his um, you know mm, on the yeah, yeah. on the books as a schoolboy at um, you know or youth player at Swansea Town and uh, and then Leeds eventually make an approach for him and there's the famous story of he perhaps a, an unlikely lost bio because his mother asks does he need his passport to travel to Leeds <laughs> um, so uh, yeah but he goes to Leeds um, the famous ah. Uh, Got his first name, Major Buckley. I think it's Major Charles Buckley. Um, but Major Buckley's the manager, like drills him, and uh, obviously John Charles famously becomes this accomplished centre forward, but equally accomplished centre back, um, which is just crazy to think about these days. Um, scores an absolutely bucket full of goals for Leeds, takes them up from what was then, you know, the second tier to the first tier, and. Uh, Juventus come knocking and oh, a lot of clubs come knocking by the sound of it. Um, but Juventus have, have a bit more money in their pocket and Leeds won't sell him. And um, I don't know if I don't know if you remember reading the book. Do you remember what the catalyst was for him being sold? I don't. I haven't. I haven't actually read that. But I've read the uh, the Mario Rissoli book, uh, <laughs> King John. That's a really that's an that's an excellent book on 
Tom, um, John Charles. That yeah, might be the one I'm thinking book. of. Oh no, maybe it's not. No, I think no, it was his autobiography. No, there's the, there's the two. Yeah, yeah, okay. they, they're both. They're, I th- I've got them both, but I haven't actually read the autobiography yet. Oh, I won't well. be read. Uh, yeah, it's um, I, I thought that his autobiography was called King John as well. I might be wrong though. Um, but uh, yeah, essentially, um, one know. of the one of the stands at Ellen Road burns down, which um, is now the John Charles stand, and um, <laughs> they you know they use the money, they need the money to um to you know rebuild the stand so they sell john charles um here's an interesting bit of trivia which yeah, I... so, yes they, no you were right sorry before we, the the mario risoli book is the general giant okay so King john is the author. um then he um uh, when he's making his negotiations with uh juventus uh, i read this i think it was on a these football times article by uh, matthew evans and I can't remember if he's mentioned in the autobiography or not, but it, it did make me chuckle of who was present at the negotiations for John Charles. So you have um, Umberto Agnelli, who is, of course, uh, the Agnelli family, um, Fiat family that own Juventus. Um, and John Charles, his agent, apparently, was uh, more of a, a showbiz agent. So um, to help with the football side of things, uh, Kenneth Wolfenstone is there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, sorry, um um, Wolstenholme, I will say Wolstenholme, so Wolstenholme is there to help with the negotiations of they think it's all over fame, which I thought was interesting. Um, but yeah, basically he goes out to Italy, um, you know, he's given all the luxuries. Um, I don't think he's paid too much more, but he gets, you know, suits, cars, um, lovely place up in the sort of mountainside of Turin. And um, he just compared to some of the people we're going to talk about, um, just seamlessly seems to fit into life there. They love him straight away. And he repays them with just a crazy like amount of goals from the off, really. Um, he's one of their best players in the first season. He forms this... Um, um, well, he's, he's, he's their player of the season. He forms this amazing trident with uh, Omar Sivori and uh, uh, Bono Pietti. Um, and eventually, well, he's named Italian Football of the Year in his debut season. And I think he is still the only Welsh footballer to podium in the Ballon d'Or. So in 1958, or 1959, sorry, he is the third place in the Ballon d'Or. Just behind, two heavyweights he's behind as well, who've just won the European Cup in Di Stefano and Raymond Copper. So not bad um, for... Not bad company. But he wins... Uh, he wins three Scudettos at, or, or Scudettis, I guess, um, at Juventus, uh, Coppa Italia. His goal record, 93 goals in 150 games. And again, I don't think he played centre-back so much for Juventus, but, you know, he could play at centre-back. He certainly had, but um, he's generally considered, um, for those, I don't know, maybe a bit younger listening and I might have heard the name and don't really know so much about him. He's pretty much considered one of the greatest foreign footballers ever to play in Italy. I, I can't remember what year the vote was, but I think it's the late 90s. They did some vote in Serie A about who's the greatest foreigner ever. And, you know, think of the foreigners that have played there. Um, you know, the aforementioned Platini, who this podcast is <clears> named after, which we probably need to explain at some point why we called it that. Um, and Maradona, but John Charles was voted the greatest foreigner in uh, Serie A history. Well, is, I mean, we, we we started talking about the the picture going around recently from his playing days but there's that incredible picture that comes up every now and again of of him uh i forget which way round it is 
One of them is him and Alessandro Del Piero. One of them is sat in the dugout, and Del Piero is just staring at him like, "Whoa, it's John Charles." Yeah, yeah. It's um, but yeah, it's uh, he is, and like um, you read like um, you know, people like um, Bob, Sir Bobby Robson, the way he used to talk about him was like sort of godlike, and you know, if anyone saw a bit of everything. It was Sir Bobby Robson and uh, hmm. it's incredible. The effect, And, you know, I, I, neither of us have been to Turin as far as I'm aware. Um, I'm pretty sure if me or you went to Turin and said, uh, we're Welsh, they'd be like, oh, John Charles. And then if we dropped hmm. in, by the way, <laughs> he did sign our dad at one point. I reckon we might get a beer or two out of it. Um, going back, you said about that photo and that photo is incredible. Like the two you've talked about. Um, Again, I think our uh, compatriots at the socially distant sports bar, they talked about that uh, clip of him, which just appeared from nowhere on Twitter the other day, where, or a couple of months ago now, of all his goals. And they're unbelievable, like, sort of the goals he's scored. You know, they're not, you know, they're not 30 yard rockets or anything, but just they're all power and precision and, you know, those headers. um, It looks unnatural. It's it's amazing. Um, well, the other one that's appeared in the last couple of years as well is that video of him singing yes, on Italian true. TV. That's amazing too. It uh, wasn't just the football, but he. Uh... Oh, Mark, we're going to definitely be talking about a Welshman singing later as well. That, that's sort of my, <laughs> that's my my trump card towards the end. There's a bit of a a teaser there for you, but um, yeah, he did he did go back to Leeds very briefly actually, and uh, which he called the biggest mistake of his life. Um, it just didn't he didn't fit back in there, and it just wasn't the same as it was when he left. So I think not many people really talk about him much, and maybe for the reason they're going to mention, but he did he did actually go back to Italy with Roma, and uh, he like, did, yeah. You know, he's a very sort of strapping big man and you know in that Roma kit he looks he looks even better in that Roma kit to sort of, um and he did score 15 minutes into his debut and they were like oh here we go it's all gonna happen but um sadly he only, he only played 11 games for Roma and uh, for various reasons uh didn't work out there but I think you know we talked about we could have done a pod and Tosh and Bale and uh you know other Welsh folk abroad but I think the argument amongst Welsh football fans and, you know, maybe it's not one we should have now because we could be here all night. Is, <clears throat> is he the greatest Welsh footballer ever? And I think certainly um, like our dad's generation and maybe the ones just before that would probably say yes, wouldn't they? Yes, I'm, I'm almost certainly. And, you know, our generation are perhaps in the sort of bail camp more, but uh, it's, you know, I think for a player to have done it at centre-back and centre-forward and being so good at both fits. You know, you get it these days where, I don't know, the first two have come to mind, like Chris Sutton and Dion Dublin at the end of their careers take a step back. But John Charles did it in his prime. And, um, yeah, you, you could argue that he is probably one of, not not just the greatest Welsh football ambassadors we've ever had, but probably one of the greatest Welsh ambassadors we've ever had. To, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. he is still just loved everywhere. And uh, we, we did actually get to see him live once, didn't we? At uh, Before the Wales-Italy yeah, yeah, the, the Wales game, the 2-1, and he came yeah, on the yeah. pitch. It was probably one of his, his last public appearances. Yeah, it probably would have been, actually, wouldn't it? But, um, yeah, I think if we were to have a debate, which, again, could go on all night, who is the greatest lost <clears> boyo <throat> ever, I think, you know, he's certainly podium in, if not getting the goal there. <laughs> 
um that that's a debate for maybe when we've done another couple of lost bio episodes maybe but um <laughs> and mark i think we're gonna stay in italy still italy is a um uh, well, I was going to say a happy stomping ground for uh, Welsh footballers, <laughs> but um, debatable. So, a regular stomping ground. A regular <laughs> stomping ground, yes. Uh, you know, we, we could have talked about Ampadu and Ramsey as well, but uh, we're going back a little bit further again. After John Charles, though, so you introduce your next one, because you've not talked about one player. You're going to talk about three in one no, go. No, I'm, I'm going with three. Right. Uh, so, yes, I'm going with three. The, the we, You mentioned sort of there generational changes and and generational heroes my first footballing hero was was Mark Hughes uh and he was part uh, as many will know Welsh football tends to sort of produce a number of great players at in one position at one time and until very recently has perhaps not been able to field 11 of them um but yes, so my the Welsh team of my youth that I that I first remember watching, we were very lucky to be able to call upon Ian Rush, Mark Hughes, and Dean Saunders. Uh, and while you know, particularly Rush and and Hughes are synonymous with Liverpool and Manchester United, they they all played for some of the biggest continental clubs as well so yes as you said we we start in Italy so Ian Rush um, had won everything with Liverpool and was given the choice the chance to sort of emulate John Charles uh, and went to Juventus but things did not go well um, but it's actually sort of a, it's looked back on quite Harshly, I think. Um, Serie A was, you know, well known as the the best league defensively. That was obviously sort of the beginning of the the Saki era. Uh, Rush went there for the eighty seven eighty eight season. So um, you had people like Baresi, a very young Maldini, but but also people like um, Bergami and Viekovod and a lot of players who played for Italy for the next sort of decade and and more. Um, It wasn't an easy time to go there. Juventus weren't at their peak. They had sort of an ageing team from earlier. They they were fairly successful in the early part of the 80s. But then, yeah, that that team was was ageing. And they they brought Rush in. We did play with Michael Laudrup, who you mentioned earlier. And yeah, he it's sort of he's looked back on as this this kind of flop, but um he did score thirteen Serie A goals. It wasn't um they finished sixth, but it's not there were other good teams. The the team of um the Milan team obviously of that era was really good. Um Inter were very good. That was the sort of the Trapatoni team, the start of the team that would eventually win the league in 88 I'm trying to get them all right I think 88 was Trapattoni's Inter and obviously it was the the era of the Napoli Maradona team too so they they were really good teams it it wasn't just as if uh, Juventus were dominating like they have done in the last decade 
um, yeah, to give sort of uh, an insight into the, the how good the Milan team was. That was the year they conceded 14 goals <laughs> in the 30 matches. So nobody was uh, nobody was scoring many goals. Um, Rush ended up with um, I. Ooh, where's my notes? On Ian Rush, uh, he ended up with 13 goals that year in 40 appearances. So not not terrible. He got seven in Serie A, um, and Maradona was the the top scorer that year. He only got 13. There weren't many people getting double figures, so it, it wasn't the it wasn't the disaster that it um, that it was that it's often remembered as. Can I just say but, um, um, earlier, Mark, when I think you said uh, you might be a little bit late, I had 10 minutes and I found a video of all of Ian Rush's goals for Juventus. <laughs> I noticed a big chunk of them came against Pescara. And, but also, true, yes, there but, was a, there but was. I will say they were very good goals, some of them. There was, and uh, in one of those games, he's wearing that remarkable pink shirt. Correct, yes. Uh, which, is, which is beautiful um, with the, the Ariston the Ariston sponsor. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as bad as perhaps it's remembered, but it wasn't great for sure. Um, I think the same can't be said for Mark Hughes <laughs> at Barcelona. Uh, so again, not not very well remembered, <laughs> not a very popular player there, but it is nice. We've both been to the, the New Camp Museum uh, and they have their sort of board of foreign players and they have all the flags. And it is nice right at the end to see that little Welsh flag with, with Mark Hughes. He, he only got five goals in 37 games um, in his season in Barcelona. To, to compare, uh, Gary Lineker got 21. So they went out at the same time. Um, and I think uh, Gary Lineker, is, I, I've heard talk about this and sort of say, you know, they were in different different places in their career. He'd obviously won a bit more with Everton than, than Mark Hughes had won at Manchester United. He was going over with his wife, whereas Mark Hughes ran over as a sort of young single man. Um, also, he wasn't married yet. Um, and also, I think, very different yeah, characters as well, because Mark Hughes is sort of famously yes, quite yes. shy. And uh, I think everyone that played with him says they can't believe he became a football manager. It's a... Uh... Yes, yeah. and Barcelona's quite um, an in your face city, so that, and then that saw him loan the following season to Bayern, uh, where he did do quite well. I mean, it, again, I think like Rush, he was there not at a good time. They uh, they didn't win the Bundesliga that year. Uh, they went out in the quarterfinals of the the European Cup, as it was then. To to Bayern Munich, uh, sorry, they are Bayern Munich to Real Madrid. <laughs> But I mean, he played there with with Andy Bremer, with Ma, with Los Mateas, uh, with Hansi Flick. Hmm. <laughs> um, interestingly, and of course, that spell is most famous for his uh, two matches in a day, where he played for uh, I forget which way round it was. I think it was he played for Wales in the Czech Republic and then flew. Uh, in Czechoslovakia as it was then and then flew on was it Uli Hernes's private Something jet like or, that, yeah. or I think or maybe they drove because it was no it was definitely, it was it's definitely a, I think they, no it was a flight it, I think it, was, it might have been it was a flight and then 
and then played the second half for Bayern Munich the following day. Yeah, it's uh, I, oh sorry, the same day later the, the day, but yeah, very um, amazing. Great bit um, of football trivia. The the most successful period spent abroad was uh, was Dean Saunders, the third of the the trio. So he he went to Galatasaray, played under under Graham Suness, who uh, he followed around uh, for a number of years, from Liverpool to Galatasaray to to Benfica, which we'll get to in a moment, to, to Blackburn, um, and he scored 21 goals for Galatasaray in the 95-96 season, including the goals in the Tur- the infamous Turkish Cup final that ended up with Graham Souness planting a giant Galatasaray flag in the middle of uh, the Fenerbahce home pitch. But yeah, Dean Saunders scored in both legs of that final. He scored a 116-minute equaliser at um, Fenerbahce Stadium, which is uh, what what allowed. Do, do you think he's disappointed <laughs> with? Uh, do you think he got annoyed with Graham Souness? Because no one will ever talk about that. The two Dean Saunders goals. They'll just talk about Souness and the flag. He's probably really annoyed that he did that. Uh, and then, yes, yeah, Souness took him to Benfica um, with him, where I, a very, I think. Uh, <laughs> A very strange team. So uh, he took a number of British players, Gary Charles, Steve Harkness, uh, Scott Minto, Brian Dean, Michael Thomas, uh, and and Dean Saunders was there. And, and I, it was around the, with him, yeah. Mark, you haven't mentioned the other guy that was there. Of course, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, and and <laughs> Murtha's own Mark Pembridge was part of that team as well. Um uh, Mark Pembridge actually did all right there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, he, uh, he had a second season. But, but What's the name of the school in... Obviously, we went to Avantaf. We had Kavartha. What was the name of the school we saw as a bit rough up the top? I can't remember what it's called. Penadre. Penadre. I went... Um, when I was having guitar lessons... Uh, this is a weird story. Um, I went for a guitar lesson with a few others with... Uh, Ned Edwards, who was Van Morrison's guitarist, don't know why he was in Penadre. And I always remember going in Penadre school, and the thing you see when you walk in is a Mark Pembridge Benfica shirt on the wall. Wow! Uh, so I always I remember I remember that more than the guitar lesson with Van Morrison's guitarist. Now I think about it. But I I mean this the reason I picked this one this was another one I wanted to sort of write about on the blog. We wrote I think we wrote about all three of them separately. But I just wanted to sort of write something about um, them collectively and sort of what they meant, I think. So I I found a, a spreadsheet. I opened a spreadsheet in from my Google Drive that I'd made in 2015 uh, for this um, for this thing that I was going to write about them. Uh, the, all the games from, from Mark Hughes' debut until Dean Saunders' last game. So, like, that was the, the sort of period where they all kind of overlapped. So Rush had played, Rush had played, I think, close to about 20 games, I think, by the time Mark Hughes first. I think it was 19, if I... Are we talking about Wales games uh, now, I, yes? I, Wales games, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, I haven't updated the spreadsheet. I did double-check yesterday. The spreadsheet has 108 matches on it. I had a quick count yesterday, um, a secondary count. I came to 111. 
So I might have missed some, but I haven't gone back and added them. But anyway, of the, the 108 on my spreadsheet from Mark Hughes' debut in 1984 to Dean Sorda's last game in 2001, uh, the, the number of games that featured none of them is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, but amazingly, they only all scored in the same game once. And I was at that game. It was my, my first visit to the national stadium when we beat Belgium uh, 3-1 at home and Rush Hughes and Saunders all scored. And that was the only time uh, that the three of them all scored in the same match. See, ma- magical things happen against those Belgians, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, great stuff. This, um, yeah, like it's, 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 I like those three players all great. To be honest with you, the thing that surprised me most then was when he said Dean Saunders' last game in two thousand and one. I was like, what? Like that seems much later than that. Yeah, remember. amazing. But and even, but even by then, that uh, Mark Hughes was the manager. So even then, they're still. Uh, Still going on. <laughs> yeah. um, you, you made a good point when we were on another podcast. Football is, um, and that is what I want, or Tales of a Groundhopper. And we were talking about the first game we went to together was uh, Wales 6, San Marino 0, which weirdly, a lot of my friends and Swansea friends I know, that was their first game too. And you said half the team that we saw that day have been Wales managers since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's. Um... Yeah. Okay. Should we should we go from one Hughes to another Hughes then? Well, yes. Let's go from one Hughes to another Hughes. What is your final choice, Matt? Well, this was when I was thinking. Um, I'm about. I, I sort of went back through the blog and looked at some of the stuff I've wrote, and I had this one guy in mind, and I thought, well, maybe I'll talk about him. And it was only when I read the blog I forgot how brilliant his story is. Um, so I'm going to start with a personal link as well. Um, I'm going to ask you a question to start this, Mark. Um, who is the most famous person that's ever tweeted you? Oof, the most famous person who's ever tweeted me. I, I'm a much less active Twitterer okay. than you. Okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to win. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to raise you a rude hullet. When um, wow. when I was uh, on a train to Liverpool, I, I can't remember how this came about. I was reading something about Rude Hullett and they mentioned this guy, Barry Hughes. Um, they discovered him and I thought, oh, you know, Barry Hughes sounds a bit Welsh. And it turns out he is Welsh. He's from uh, born in Carnarvon, um, played for West Brom as a youngster. Um, and then for reasons I've not really, I never really discovered, he went to Holland to play football when he was about 21. So he never really hit the big time. He played for, um, I think it's Blauswit Amsterdam and then ended up at um, Alkmaar before they were AZ Alkmaar. But um, I decided to tweet Rude Hullet. Um, Is it true that Barry Hughes signed you? Oh, you know, discovered you. And he just tweeted me back, Yes. <laughs> I I tweeted you and Roberts once to ask if it was true that he was uh, no, to ask if he'd ever had the chance to go abroad and he replied and said yes Napoli came in for me once oh there you go so we, there you we, go that, that's the best one <laughs> to be fair Mark you did uh, we've we mentioned her a couple of times you did you did interview Jeff, Jeff yeah I can't say it Jess Fishlock so that's true that, actually yeah that's pretty big time um, so yeah yes. like um, Barry Hughes, I'm going to throw it out there. We, we, you know, I think we've already 
mentioned Tosh already and his impact in certain parts of the world. But I'm not sure a Welsh football manager has had a bigger impact in a country. Maybe not for footballing reasons, but this guy just seems apps was well, he still is loved in Holland. So just to give a bit of background on it. So he, he's managed he never really hit any of the you know, your Ajaxes, Feyenoords, PSVs. Um so he, he went to like the likes of hey, um HFC Harlem again, where James Lawrence sort of flirted with a little bit. Uh, Go Ahead Eagle, Sparta Rotterdam, FC Utrecht, MVV and FC Volendam. But there's um, some great stories on the way. And it is um, Harlem where he perhaps had the most impact. But we're going to start with Go Ahead Eagles, um, who were called, amazingly, they were just called, or they wanted to be called Go Quick. But they had to change their name to Go Ahead and... This has never been proven, sadly, and I was looking into it and I was reading articles in Dutch, obviously translated, thank you, Google Translate, <laughs> um, um, about the origins of the name Go Ahead Eagles. And and it goes that actually Barry Hughes was the one that insisted on adding the Eagles suffix to the end of it because uh, mm. the uh, club crest, no, no, sorry, the town shield or what do you call it? What do you call a town shield? Um, I'm going to go with that of uh, Deventer is... Coat of arms. Yeah, coat of arms, thank you. Coat of arms, of course it is. Um, um, Has an eagle on it. And he said, let's call them go-ahead eagles. And there's no actual proof of it, but it seems that's the story. (laughs) So so I'm going to caveat that just in case there's some listener out there that came up with the name and said, oh, everyone's always talking about Barry Hughes. So that was cool. Um, so he came up with that. He was there in the 70s, like early 70s. Then he went to Harlem. Um, he took them up from third division to the first division. Um, he was there like seven years. He did a bit of, um, what I seem to remember reading about it was he did, I suppose, a little bit of a Brian Clough job in the sense that he took like quite um, more seasoned players or players that had flawed and sort of molded them into a team and, made him quite tough to beat. And that's when um, he discovers a 16-year-old boy called Rude Hullet and hmm. just recognises his talent straight away and and plays him. And he, you know, by the time he's, I think by the time he's 18, he's played, I think it was like sort of like almost 100 games for Harlem and then Feyenoord sign him. But, uh, um, you know, I'll say now Barry Hughes very sadly passed away about two years ago and... Rude Hullet was the one leading the tributes and saying thank you for giving me the opportunity to play football. Now, if you think of the impact Rude Hullet has had on <laughs> world football, you know, that maybe doesn't happen without Brian, um, Barry Hughes. Yeah, yeah. And the other well, thing... We've both just read uh, Arrigo Saki's Immortals mm. and Hullet comes out of that much better than Marco Van Basten does, for yes. example. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of um, a few little digs at Marco Van Basten in there, isn't there? Yeah, Hullet, yeah, um, Saki loves Hullet. Um, he's very jovial yeah, of Van, yeah. Van Basten in that, actually, isn't it? But sort of like like laughing and then has a little bit of a dig at him sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and, and also as well, um, I remember reading, uh, I forgot his name, uh, The Brilliant Orange. Is it David Winner? I think it's David Winner. David Winner, Winner yeah, yeah, yeah. Which um, obviously there's these books about... You know, there's a book for almost every country, certainly in Western Europe, isn't it? You know, we got Calcio, um, there's a few about Spanish football, a few about French. Um, but David Winner talks about in that book, um, in the 70s and 80s, there's still quite a lot of racism towards uh, uh, Dutch footballers of like a Suriname, um, Sur- how do you say, Surinamese background. Um, 
and Barry, you know, Hullett's sort of one of the first of that background to really get, you know, on the pitch regularly. So, you know, I'm not as again saying that Barry Hughes, you know, broke down racial barriers completely, but he, he maybe had an impact on, you know, leading that because obviously that leads to, you know, decades later, Seedorf, David, um, uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, all from that sort of background. So a um, bit more forward thinking there. He comes across um, Dick Advocate at Go Ahead Eagles. Um, Dick Advocate asks him loads of questions about managing. So, you know, again, I'm not saying Barry Hughes, um, <laughs> uh, you know, is made Dick Advocate who he is, but he was certainly part of that journey. Um, one person, though, who he didn't have much of an impact on was another famous Dutch manager, and that's Louis van Gaal, who um, he had at uh, Sparta Rotterdam, and he said... He had no idea he would be a manager. He said he thought he'd be a good... I think the quote I read when he went to Man United, as Van Gaal went to Man United, was um, that he'd be a good... He thought he'd be a good teacher, not a good manager, which uh, I suppose he was sort of accurate there in some sense. Uh, um, You know, I'm sure lots of uh, the Ajax team of the 90s and late Bayern Munich, uh, late 2000 Bayern Munich might disagree, but... Um, <laughs> yes. I think he taught them and managed them sometimes in an orthodox way. But... Luca Tony in particular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, he, but it says that Louis van Gaal, he, he sort of, I think the the article I read about him a few years ago said that, uh, you know, him and Advocate were different characters, which I think is fair to say uh, <clears throat> in their managerial careers too. But um, yeah, he just seems to have this... Um, he sort of seeps into pop culture then. Uh, it's, it seems to be Harlem seems to be where he's perhaps most fondly remembered, but he seems very fondly remembered at Go Ahead Eagles as well. But uh, he also won, he didn't win much in Holland, but he did win the big matches personality of the month once. Uh, he won it for, um, what, what do you call them? Like a party pop, like a boo. They're like, I can't believe you call them. You know, like streamer, streamer, streamer. Yeah, but um, he had one of those on the bench with him and was just persistently like blowing it towards the opposition manager. <laughs> and somehow the big match got this footage from Holland. I, I don't really know how. And uh, uh, and they he won it. Uh, he beat Ray Clements in the vote that month. I don't know what Ray Clements was up for, sadly, but. Uh, hmm. Apparently, the guy who he was directing the the raspberries at, we'll say, um, was someone who coached him. Basically, when he got to Holland, people were complaining that he had a British coaching diploma and he should get a Dutch one. And I think the guy that coached him was German and apparently was just not very nice to him. So he said he would get his payback on him one day. And he seems such a lovely man that his idea of payback is just blowing raspberries towards him so he's it's on youtube um we do have a uh a platini played for kuwait uh twitter um once we've published all this i will put it on youtube um on our twitter it's very funny and the it's the big match interview with him after and he tells the story and uh yeah he just seems like a proper like in in that same sort of field as sort of Bobby Robson, it seems the like really funny, yeah. jovial guy. He's got a he always wore a flat cap, which you know I like a cap, so I like that. Um, not only did he win uh, per, 
the big matches personality of the month. Uh, he got in the charts in Holland. He released songs. He released a song called Football is König, which I'm guessing means football is king. Um, he also had to write this one down. So forgive my Dutch here. Um, ik wil op mijn kop in kamerbreed tamich. Apologies, Dutch listeners, but apparently that means I want a wall-to-wall carpet on my head. Um, but and he and he had and again I could this this is the thing I need to dig more into. He had his own TV show called The Barry Hughes Quiz. Wow. <laughs> um, so it's like it. Um, and the, the amazing thing. Well, there's lots of amazing thing about this guy. I think, but he retired when he was fifty in 1988, and. Um, he seemed to have stayed out there. And like I said, he didn't die till two years ago. Um, but he seems to be loved. And it was funny. I was trying to think of not even just Welsh, um, you know, Welsh people that have gone abroad or Welsh football people have gone abroad and have been so like loved in that country and been adopted. And, um, I str- you know, there's certain people we've talked about already, you know, especially John Charles. Um, but I live in Spain at the moment. And the closest thing I could think of was um, Michael Robinson coming out to Spain. Um, mm, yes, um, yeah, yeah. It's the same sort of thing because Michael Robinson, you hear like I read marker and stuff and, you know, my Spanish is not great. It's getting a little bit better. But when you read about Michael Robinson or hear Spanish media mm-hmm. talk about him or fans, oh, he's, they love him here. And uh, Cadiz... Yes. Cardiff are particularly popular in Spain. They're not very popular in Malaga, but that's a different story. But I, I believe part of the reason people like them is because Michael Robinson started supporting them because he lived down there. It's a uh... well, and he was. I mean, I, I mentioned at the beginning. I I lived in in northern Spain. He played for for Osasuna, and he was very much uh, very popular in Pamplona. Yeah, and that that sort of. You know, I've now lived in Holland. Um, I visit there a couple of times. I've watched football there. Um, to be honest with you, I've been to Sparta Rotterdam to watch a game. Actually, mm. great, great, great stadium. By the way, you should go there if you get a chance. Um, I, I, I wish like I would have done that thing we said about uh, John Charles and name dropping him in Turin and mm. go into some of these places and mentioning Barry Hughes because um, it just seems like a, a really fun guy and sort of didn't take. I'm sure you know when it came down to it, he took it seriously, but. He seemed just to have that sense of humour about him. And uh, I honestly think he. there's not many Welsh football personalities that have had, you know, I, 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 there's very little stuff about his tactics or anything like that I could find, but just seemed like a character and much loved. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a great story. I think so. Uh, you know, big mm-hmm. love to the Barry Hughes story. So I've just said, Mark, about a guy having an impact on a league um, I think I've said, is there going to be anyone bigger? But I think you're going to tell a perhaps slightly grander story, you know? Yes, I, my my last cho- choice isn't... Uh, a, a, I've gone from one person to three people to a whole era of football um, that was that was very much defined by a Welshman. I'm, I'm going to choose the, the whole era, and, and that is the... North American Soccer League of 1968 to 1984. Uh, you mentioned this Brian Hughes, uh, sorry, Barry Hughes and song there. Uh, there, I give you the victory in 83 by the band The Shame. When the final whistle blew at two to nil, we sing the praise of Terry Hennessy. <laughs> uh, 
which is a reference to the 1983 soccer bowl when the Tulsa Roughnecks beat the Toronto Blizzard uh, in Vancouver Stadium. Oh, um, and the, the manager of Tulsa Roughnecks was Wales. Wales is uh, Terry Hennessy. Uh, so that was actually t- right towards the end of that era of North American Soccer League. Um, as I just said, it sort of ended in, in 1984. The first, um, the first NASL championship was won by the Atlanta Chiefs. Uh, and that team had a huge Welsh influence. So the goalkeeper was, uh, oh, I always get them the wrong way around because there's Vic Crow and Vic Rouse, both Welshmen, uh, who were in the team. Uh, but I always forget which of the two Vicks was the goalkeeper. Let me double check. Uh, it was Vic Rouse was the goalkeeper and Vic Crow was the midfield player. Um, so they both in that team, um, Brian Hughes, which is why I said Brian Hughes when you were talking about Barry Hughes, he was also in the team uh, and they, they won the, the inaugural soccer bowl or it wasn't called the soccer bowl then it was still just called the the North American football championship I think Um, and yes the the coach the player coach of that team was Phil Woosnam so he he went to North America to to be the player coach of the Atlanta Chiefs Uh, and a couple of years into his time there he became the the commissioner for the North American Soccer League, um, and sort of yeah, he was in charge almost until the end. Uh, a lot of people sort of he wasn't very popular by the end. The the league was losing money. Um, people sort of blamed him for expanding the league too quickly. Too many teams, not too uh, too many sort of too much overly saturated the the product. But in between, it was a, a huge draw, uh, most famous probably in the, the sort of mid to late 70s, the, the New York Cosmos era. And yeah, they were, a, a Welshman was, was right at the heart of it. And, and there were Welsh players, Welsh coaches throughout the, the whole period. Um, so Woosnam was, was eventually um, inducted into the US Soccer Hall of Fame. He's seen as sort of, being one of the, the key men yeah. in bringing the World Cup to America, if if not perhaps that bid, certainly the idea of it, and was was involved in trying to bring the 1986 World Cup bid, uh, World Cup there. Um, but yeah, a really sort of fascinating period that when we were doing the when we were writing the blog, it just seemed every time I <laughs> I found someone playing in in North American Soccer League, you'd find someone else. Um, like I say, that uh, the 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 Atlanta Chiefs team, so they won it in '68 with a Welsh manager, Vic Crow and Vic Roos, both managed teams in the Soccer Bowl. They both lost. Um, Vic Roos managed the Atlanta Chiefs himself a couple of years later. I forget which year, '71 or '72, in the Soccer Bowl. Vic Crow managed. The Portland Timbers in the 1975 Soccer Bowl, 
Mike England, the uh, Spurs centre, Spurs and Wales central defender and, and long-time Wales manager. He was a, a mainstay of the Seattle Sounders team of um, the the mid to late 70s and he probably played in the the most famous game of the North American soccer era which was the, the 1977 soccer bowl so that was Pele's last game um, and Giorgio Cinaglia who himself has Welsh links <laughs> he scored in the he scored the winning goal in the in that game but um, Mike England was uh, four times in the team, the Nazel All-Stars, um, 1975, 1976, 1977, and 1978. Uh, and to sort of, I mean, a, fl- a flavour of the, the team that he was, the other people. So 1975, he was in the Nazel All-Stars. Peter Bonetti was the goalkeeper. <laughs> uh, Mike England at centre-back. Arvin Griffiths, uh, the Wrexham legend. Yeah, he yeah. also played for Seattle Sounders that season. He was in midfield. Pele at front. <laughs> uh, Antonio Simoes, who played for Benfica in the 60s and I think is still the youngest player to win the European Cup. Was mm-hmm. not when he was playing in Nazel. Uh, the 1976 All-Stars. Uh, so in defence, Bobby Moore. Mike England, <laughs> uh, midfield, Rodney Marsh, Anthony Simoes up front, Pele, George Best and George Okinaglia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 1977 All-Stars, Gordon Banks, Franz Beckenbauer, Mike England, George Best, <laughs> Pele. Um, uh, <laughs> I was waiting for Harry Redknapp to get a mention because didn't he play for Seattle Sounders for quite a bit? He did play yeah. for Seattle Sounders, yeah. Uh, uh, 1977, um, 1977, Nazel All-Stars, Carlos Alberto, Mike England, <laughs> Franz Beckenbauer, Rodney Marsh, Trevor Francis, Giorgio Canaglia. So, yeah, he was in good company in there. Um, so, yeah, it was a really, it's a, a period that fascinated me. We we both like the book Once in a Lifetime and the, the accompanying documentary. There's two other books that I read sort of that really, I really, really liked. One called Rock and Roll Soccer. Mm-hmm by Ian Plenderleith and uh, Playing for Uncle Sam by David Tossel. Playing for Uncle Sam has a lot of stuff about Phil Woosnam in it uh, and it's really, really interesting. But yeah, Phil Woosnam, Mike England, Terry Hennessy, they were all sort of uh, Welsh names. Terry Yorath played, Arvin Griffiths that I mentioned, Donato Nardiello, Ron Davis, Trevor Hockey, they were lots of... uh, John Collins, not the Scottish John Collins, but a Welsh John Collins... There were loads of Welsh players playing there throughout the, the whole time. And it's, it's just such a fascinating period, such an interesting, it was, I guess, so different. It was yeah. very uh, marketing and very, very American. And, yeah, um, I was, that's what I was going to try and mention then. And you, you've mentioned Once in a Lifetime there. And, you know, Mark said we both loved it. I, I think um, the book's great. Um I honestly think it's one of the, the film is one of the best football documentaries ever made. Just I think because of the you get the soundtrack within the soundtracks. Incredible. The soundtrack's brilliant, and, yeah. I, and and also I mean I I read the book first. Yeah, me too. And and sort of uh, Giorgio Kinalia is 
is very much the villain of the piece and you think oh well okay yeah now he's on film he's got his chance to put his own story across and get redemption but he's quite happy to play the villain yeah. uh, he's amazing <laughs> and he is like uh he is sort of tony soprano sort of figure isn't he he's uh He's brilliant in it, but um, the, like I was going to say, that you mentioned about Phil Woosnam, he he was quite clever, and I think the other sort of perhaps the thing to emphasise you were talking about how amazing like this period is, but like when Phil Woosnam went to America, it was sort of seen as a bit mad that this you know there was no yeah, league there yeah, it was very yeah, much yeah. amateur. Well, I mean, when they initially went, there were two competing leagues, yeah. and the. The one sort of had links to European clubs because uh, there was the Cle- I can't remember any of the names now except the Cleveland Stokers, <laughs> which were which were partnered with Stoke City. But yeah, they were they all had sort of links to to European clubs and and things, and uh, and that was kind of the competing. So 1967, uh, I think, was when Phil Woosnam first went across, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then. That was the you had the North American Soccer League and the American Soccer League. I think I can't remember exactly what it was yeah. called, but yeah, they were the, the competing ones, and then they but merged it, in '68. And but the essentially, win it. but essentially, apart from that sort of spell between sort of 1985 and the '94 World Cup, like Phil Woosnam, like created football in America really didn't he or yeah, certainly yeah. a large part yeah, yeah. of it like you said there was the I've got the guy's name the guy the the Warner Brothers guy that bought the Cosmos <laughs> pumped a load of money in there's Clive Toy uh, who Lamar, was a journalist Clive Toy was the the journalist and, and um, Lamar Hunt no it's not Lamar Hunt no I can't oh. I can picture the guy's face in the documentaries yeah Steve, I think his name's Steve something Steve oh, I'll come to me now but uh yeah, hmm. him and like the it's crazy the story. Like the last question I was perhaps going to fi- finish with is, um, again we might talk about Toshak and et al later in you know later months, but I think we could perhaps say that no Welshman's ever had such an effect on a football's, um, sorry, a, a country's football really because you read all these no, books I'm... about. Um, I'd like to read this book. Um, the guy that does the Outside Right podcast. Uh, wrote a book called Origin Stories and it's about Origins, how football yeah, yeah. came to all these places and I'd be quite interested to read the chapter on the USA because surely Phil Woosnam is the man in it, I would think. And if not, another Welshman by the name of Horace Edgar Edgar oh. Lewis. It's been so hard to pick three. I mean, he was another one. <laughs> uh, the 1953 Swedish Cup final had two Welsh managers in it. Uh, we When we, wow. we sort of had our pre-chat we talked about how can we leave out Di Astley sort of Murtha's oh, own yeah well, managed Genoa and Inter Milan well Mark who, I think I think this who, might be who else would you have added yeah well I think this might be a good way to tease future episodes maybe so um <laughs> they are so we've gone with tonight as our our three so I've gone with James Lawrence John Charles and Barry Hughes and Mark has gone with uh Howard Pasadoro uh, Saunders, Russian Hughes, and the Nazzle League between the late sixties and mid eighties. Um, we sort of were going to put it to a Twitter vote, weren't we? What was the the most interesting story? So I think we decided I was going to go with Barry Hughes, and you're going to go with Nazzle. Yes, I'm definitely going to go with Nazzle. Yes, okay. I, I'm not going to change my mind. It was just like yeah, like I say, when we when we were doing the blog, just every time. Hmm. I'd look and there um there's a website called nazzlejerseys.com 
uh, and it's just got some fantastic pictures. Um, there's one I remember of Trevor Hockey. I can't remember which team he played for, but he played with Eusebio. <laughs> and it's Trevor Hockey with his big afro. <laughs> and uh, he's sort of got Pele one side of him and Eusebio the other side of him. Um, Brian Godfrey, I didn't mention him. He, he, he was one of the other... He was one of the few Welshmen who did play in the soccer bowl. There's some great pictures of him on his page for it. Like, yeah, it's a really, uh, a really good website. It just pictures. The shirts were great. The names are great. It's just, yeah, really, a really fascinating period, I think. Okay, so I think we will leave it there, Mark, for the first ever episode of Platini played for Kuwait. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave the title slightly mysterious and not really explain. <laughs> I know you're in Kuwait, so maybe maybe we'll touch on it further down the line. But um, we should perhaps finish by it's saying it's not a Kuwait football podcast. <laughs> no, I was thinking as well if if um, you know. Platini's not exactly the most popular man in football these days. Maybe we should have picked... um, There is a a semi... Well, not really much of an anecdote behind it, but I'm going to keep it under wraps for a little bit. Um, It's really going to let people down now, I've realised, though. Um, uh, Yeah, we'll finish there. Um, We Obviously, you can... You know, please, this is our first episode, so do that thing of subscribing, sharing it, retweeting it, all those things podcasts ask you to do. Um, It'll be on you know itunes so you know if you enjoyed it give us a rating that's always a nice way to start preferably a nice five star rating um and yeah you can well i'll let mark is there anything you want to finish with and sort of give your twitter a shout out and all that stuff podcasts do um i i mean yeah if you want to so the podcast twitter is at played for kuwait uh and do feel free to sort of uh suggest your own topics you'd like to us to talk about or maybe even join us to talk about if you you we are very uh, very open to having other people join us for a chat i'm at mark lost boyos mark with a c uh which as one barnsley fan once told me you can tell why he's good a c <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've not heard that one before but um. uh yes and yeah, I, I'm Matt Lost Bio. I've never been told you can see why he uses two T's. But <laughs> um, and yeah, like Mark said, um, you know, we we would like to get people on to chat with because I think, as we said earlier, we we like sort of embracing different sides of football, and you know, the more the merrier to talk with. And uh, yeah, like if you've listened to this, you know, and there's I don't know, maybe, maybe me and Mark have missed the crucial part of the Nazel story or John Charles's story and you want to, you feel like you've got to share something with us, please do that. As I said at the start, we're all for being educated too. And yeah, you know, if you want to join us and talk about a topic, we're all for that too. So thank you for listening to the first ever episode for Platini played for Kuwait. And we'll see you next time. Adios. Bye-bye.